Right, the Euros are finally underway and England have kicked off our tournament with a win over Croatia. We'll be chewing the fat of the game whilst also looking at the rest of the Euros so far on the Cork Hill Network. And here's Gascoigne. Brilliant play! Oh! Take a bow for that! So welcome to another episode of Shearer's Island, part of our Euro 2020 series. I'm Danny, and I'm joined by Dan. Hiya. And Kev. Evening. And can I introduce you, please, to a lump of cheddar cheese? It's Jared. Special intro for you, Jared, because you missed last week. Thank you very much. You well, boys? All good. Great result. It's bloody hot, isn't it? It is a bit warm. I've just uh, had a clip out. It's perfect this kind of weather. Straight oh, down the old epiglottis. Lovely. Oh, brilliant. Do you know what I had yesterday? It was a sherbet fountain ice lolly. And i got to say, Christ, delicious. Oh, it's, no, it's lovely. And the stick, the lollipop stick, is an <laughs> actual licorice stick. It's not like a wooden thing. I'm more of a knobbly-bobbly fan. <laughs> little Moons. Tried Little Moons? The ice cream, like really like soft ice cream. But then coated in something, isn't it? Coated. When I went a bit into it and put it in my mouth, I almost envisaged myself being on like an I'm a celebrity jungle challenge. It's almost like a testicle biting into it. Because you'd but know it, what that tastes like. It tastes beautiful. Like, Join I had us the ma- next time for our ice cream <laughs> collective on the Pork Hill Network. I had the mango one and it, yeah, it was really nice. Really nice. Great stuff. So the Euros are finally underway. Dramatic opening ceremony in Rome. Did anyone watch the opening ceremony? I see the car. I think that was the highlight. It sounded like a Vianetta advert, speaking of ice cream. Can you remember Vianetta? What happened to that? that it's uh, still about. It's delicious. Oh, I thought it was like, discontinued. No, they sell it in Iceland. I think, it. yeah, Iceland have got like 10 different flavours of it. Okay. Other supermarkets are available. But yeah, it just sounded like that, that song, just, you know, and the, the fireworks. I imagined a nice uh, Vianetta advert having that. But... I don't usually buy into that sort of thing. I always think it's a load of faff, but I actually really got into it. And I think it's because what that felt like to me was like, that was my welcome back to football because I've not really followed football for a good year. So after the, after it stopped in March last year and then it came back then in, was it July when it came back and they had the, you know, it's behind closed doors and, or they had the, the fake, crowd noise I just couldn't get into it and just you know couldn't get into football for the past sort of year or so and that for me sort of made it feel like a like a welcome back it was like my restart to football so I came away from that actually feeling a little bit uh fuzzy you know like um like this is it football's back now and even though like I say it has been back for about a year it hasn't really felt like it for me it hasn't no I mean the past season like I say I'm the same it's been a bit of a write-off City's title win, I don't think it really counts. Chelsea's Champions League, can't count them, can you? It's uh, it's not. Really I can, been, I can it, stand by that. I'm it's not, that. not really been football. Speak no. for your fucking selves, boys. We got promoted this year. That's what you think. <laughs> <laughs> the football league come out and say, actually, lads, didn't count. You're still in League One. 
So, but yeah, I, I, it looked really good though. Like, you know, the pyrotechnics, the fireworks and everything, it, it, just, it looked amazing. And like I say, it was like, yeah, football's back for me. So no, it's really, really enjoyable. And I'm really enjoying the Euros so far. What about you, Jared? Because you said you weren't really getting into it. Yeah, no, football fever hit this morning. Had uh, had me lad in his England kit and fat Les blasting, a few drinks. And uh, yeah, once I finished work, I was, I was bang up for it. I was thinking all it takes, though, is because it was really nice weather this, today as well, wasn't it? So, you know, a nice day, cold beers, fat les. That's all you need. I've really got into it. I mean, you boys know me and um, I've always said club before country. And I just think it just feels different this time. I, I can really get behind the team. It's uh, because you've always been scarce, not English. Aren't yeah, you? I, and I always will be. I like it, it will always be that way for me. But it's just, I don't know, this side, I just think, just uh, just sitting nicely with me. I like the team. I've, I've not really got any sort of uh, hatred as such towards... Yeah, you made a good point in the last podcast I listened to, saying about the club rivalry, that it doesn't really seem to be a thing in this squad. And I've listened to other podcasts from the BBC, and they've been saying the same thing. And I think that's massive, because you can notice the squad harmony is right up there, isn't it? And it's got that... You know, when you look back at other England campaigns, how it was at Euro 96, that feel-good factor and real team unity. And that's how it feels for this one. I think that's why the fans are getting so invested in it. I think a massive thing is obviously because a lot of the youngsters have already won a tournament, haven't they, with the under-21s. So they've they've got that experience and they've got they've gelled together already. And uh, it, yeah, it just seems to be, I don't know, it just seems to be different this time. I think as well, like, it's always been a big thing for England, hasn't it? And people have said in the past, you know, sort of the golden generation, that 2006 squad, was really divided. Like, you had the Man United, the Chelsea and the Liverpool lot. They were all sort of in their cliques, weren't they? You know, that those sort of top sides at the time, they but you don't have it this time. And I think even when, when Spain were at the top of, uh, you know, won those two Euros and the World Cup, and they obviously, in Spain, you got one of the fiercest rivalries in European football and the Barcelona players and Real Madrid players even all got on and all played well together and obviously you saw that difference in that that Spain team. I think this is all down to the fact that we've had no crowds though if I'm honest. We spent the last what 18 months without without fans in the building and we've got such a young side this year you know Mount uh, Foden, they they've come into to prominence recently. Jack Grealish only spent what four months with fans back in in stadiums when he was back in the Prem. So you know he's not really got any sense of rivalry with with other players. So the fact that we've not had fans screaming and shouting at each other uh, for the last eighteen months has probably helped these players you know sort of respect each other a bit more and it's benefiting us now well we hope you know we're one game and let's not lose ourselves yeah i think that that's a good point you might have i think either. going back let's say 10 years ago i, I, I do think the, some of the players didn't get off I do think some of them genuinely hated each other in the england side you could you could just well, see... they, they've said themselves haven't they and like we are ferdinand and that they spoke out saying it was very much a Chelsea table, a Liverpool table, United table that they kept themselves to themselves and yeah. had, had to join in on the, on the training pitch. So yeah, that is, it's never going to work, that kind of environment, is it, international no. football? I mean, I know obviously Carragher didn't obviously play much for England, but look at the um, relationship him and like Neville used to have for a club. They absolutely hated each other and you, you could see it. 
and they both admitted they hated each other. That's a problem with management, though, isn't it? If you've got, you know, effectively staff and there's, uh, you know, they're not getting on with each other, then that's part of your job to sort that out. And if the management is letting players have their own tables um, separated by clubs. Like at school, when you always used to hate that little prick in the corner and the, the teacher would know you did, so they'd sit you next to it and say yeah. that. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, you straight. So, okay, that didn't work, but you know. <laughs> anyway, let's talk about the game. England, Croatia. So, obviously, first win in that opening game in the Euros. I didn't actually know that until a, a few days ago. I didn't actually know that was a thing. I heard them talk. I say I didn't know until today, until they actually mentioned it. National anthem, uh, all the players belting it out. That's what you like to see in it. I'm just glad everyone noticed because one of the first things I noticed, normally you've got. Um just or just stood there but they were proper belting it out and yeah it's little things like that which connect the fans closer i know it sounds silly but it does um fans appreciate it we all appreciate it didn't we um and and certainly noticed it so it should be a non-negotiable that is if you're uh you play for england you sing the anthem but then i think it was peter crouch on his podcast made a good point you went what you don't think about though is that you stood there in front of ninety thousand people and also you've got a, a camera in your face with there's millions of and people watching at home. And it literally is in your face as well, isn't it? Exactly. It's like six inches away. And it's like, and you're expected to belt uh He says it's not that easy. And to be fair, I get that. But then obviously there's also a responsibility of playing for your country. Yeah, but and it's, like, it's, like, it's like being in uh, assembly when you, yeah, you used to have to sing, uh, sing the old anthems there. Come by army, Lord, and all that. You'd... Um, I'd never do it. I'd just mind, but the pit doesn't yeah. think I'm singing because I'd be yeah. minding. If Mr. Rogers is listening, I uh, I did sing it. I promise. Yeah, can you remember Euro '96 semi-final and the national anthem and they're all belting it out on there? Apart from Darren Anton. So what what did everyone? What was everyone's thoughts on the lineup? Because I gotta admit, I saw that and straight away I thought, oh, what's he done here? I I was disappointed with the lineup. I I, I think we all wanted uh, Jude Bellingham to start. I think he deserved it based on his performances in, in the previous friendlies. So him missing from the lineup was a, a bit disappointing for me. And then Grealish as well. You know, I think he should have probably started if you're he, going to play, what was it, 100 minutes basically over the two games in the friendlies. He probably should have been playing that game. But instead, you know, he started Sterling as it happens was the right choice. Um and yeah, Declan Rice had a an half decent game. Calvin Phillips was fantastic all game. So yeah, I think in hindsight, you know, it's it's all well and good saying, oh, I didn't like the lineup beforehand, but we we've got to be happy with the lineup because it got us a result. That's the thing, isn't it? In hindsight, you look back and well, you picked the team that got the win. So I think it was just when you straight away you look at you've got a, a right back at left back. You just seem like a a bit of a mess when you think of the other options that he did have but Calvin Phillips is someone who's made me eat my words anyway because I've said you know on all the podcasts we've done so far I don't understand why he's been what he brings to the table um but yeah he was absolutely superb today wasn't he yeah I think I said it on the first episode as well like I think he was lucky to be there so he's definitely uh made me eat my words as well he's it's hands down. I think everyone's agree. I, he, I think he probably got. Did he get man of the match? He must have done. Not called that no more, but he did win the award. I'm, a friend of mine is a Leeds fan, and he, he was confident he'd do the business. And obviously, they watch him week in, week out, and he's he's basically replicated what he does for Leeds for, for us today. So 
he looked really good. And with the line, again, when I looked at it, I thought Trippier at left back. I understand that if he's short, but you've got two really good left backs, you know, if not borderline world class and Chilwell and Luke Shaw. And Chilwell didn't even make the bench. So it did seem a bit of an odd one. But I know Southgate came out and said it was to do with tournament experience and an evening that up. Um, but yeah, I'd like to see Bellingham start. But listen, it's obviously made the right decision because we've got the win. Thing is, it's, it's when you're going forward. There's a few times when uh, Trippier was going forward, and there was a perfect time to cross the ball in. But he obviously, because he's not left-footed, he's turned back inside and played it back into the midfield. But again, we'll probably see a completely different lineup uh, for Scotland on Friday night. I think, I think one positive to that is when you when he's not picked because that wasn't his strongest eleven. Um, and obviously, I was expecting Grealish to start as well. But one positive of that is when you look at the bench, and how when was the last time you could look at England and go, you look at the bench and go, Jesus, look at the players we could bring on? It's It's been a while, hasn't it? I mean, like I say, if I was one of them players on the bench now who was fighting for that sort of midfield position, I, I would be concerned, definitely though about the performance that they put in today like especially Phillips I think he's going to take some shifting out of that side now I think De- Declan Rice though I thought he did really well as well he, he didn't have a bad game whatsoever it is just nice to, like you say Danny to see that choice it's a uh, it the, the bench was just as strong wasn't it really when you look at it they could have replaced that team with the team on the bench quite easily that's the thing it's nice to have those options as well isn't it because you look at against Scotland like he could he could make five changes and you'd still go well that's you know that's still a really good a good team I think he'll make three or four for the Scotland game it's a completely different game in here I think Grealish does come in for that just to sort of pick them apart I think that's the sort of game that he'll shine in I think from when Bellingham come on as well looked amazing not just that because you without squad depth you've got five subs to make as well so we could bring on five you know top quality players and you were Scotland got fucking Frankie Boyle (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Walker looked like he had a few he had a few mistakes in him but he settled down didn't he he um, made some good challenges later on in the game he took a little bit to get going Um, Kane listen he'll uh, he'll shine there'll be a game when he he, uh, does the business but he looked off the pace a little bit today he did, but also I don't think he had that many opportunities, did he? He had a really good opportunity, which resulted in an injury. And my heart sank when I saw that. Because I don't know if anyone else noticed this, but and I don't know if this is because obviously the events of um, yesterday in Denmark game, but the, the paramedics looked really worried. And I was thinking, like, he was seriously injured or obviously got up and, you know, jogged it off. But you're right, he didn't look uh, at the races today. Di- all, direct, impact, direct impact on his ribs, though, weren't they? The numpty on the Jermaine Genius was saying it was his arm. You can see it was clearly his ribs. Um, see, so I think they knocked the wind out. I mean, that's, he didn't have a bad game. He didn't get any service, really, did he? Not much played into it. Yeah, no, he didn't have a great game. And uh, that was a fiver down the, the drain. Thanks, Kev. Blame Harry. Uh, you see, you say blame Harry. Harry did what he does for Spurs week in, week out. He waits for the first 10 minutes for the service. And then when he doesn't get it, he gets pissed off and comes deep. And I, I said it in the group chat, didn't I, that, you know, we started to get some good width play going and started to get into positions to put crosses in. And Harry Kane sat on the, the edge of the bollocking box. He's not making the run. He's not in the box because he's been running around the fucking midfield trying to get the ball 
because we keep losing it and, and not giving him any service. So I think Harry Kane just needs a bit more patience in in the, the final third. And I think that's going to come. He didn't play much in the friendly. So, you know, he's maybe lacking a little bit of match sharpness or or, or whatever you want to call it. it he'll come good. He, he's oh, a yeah, class player. There's, yeah, there's no doubt. Like I say, there will be a game when he just turns it on and shows why he's the first name on the sheet, really. But um, Yeah, we all said that, didn't we? He's, he's the difference. Like we've got, you know, really good going forward. But Kane's still our main man, isn't it? Yeah, and he has to be. He's one of the best strikers in the world. That reminds me, actually, on the last podcast, um, and it was actually your idea, Dan, to name who the Golden Boot winner was going to be. And I th- you didn't give yours. I gave mine. I said Harry Kane. And I think you did as well, Kev. I think I uh, had to, didn't I, after my You had to after bet. my bet. <laughs> Tom <laughs> said uh, Werner, I think. Who's Jared and Dan? Who's your prediction for Golden Boot? I suppose you've got a little bit of a head start now the Euros has kicked off. But I, I, I thought I said it last time out, but I mean, I'm not going to change my opinion. It is Harry Kane for me. And I've got I a fiver on it. I think uh, Lukaku. Yeah, or be, be, better side, I would have gone Lukaku. He's had a great season and he's banging it in a Belgian team that creates shitloads. So for me, yeah, Lukaku all day. What's everyone's thoughts on Sterling as an overall then? Goal aside, I think he played well. He started off really well. He looked really up for it. Um, take the goal away and yeah, he still had a, had a brilliant game. That chance he squandered from, what was it, about 10 yards out? On the on the volley, I can't believe you're picking him out for that. He, he he was superb. I'm not saying he wasn't, but what I'm saying is, you know, for a, a top Premier League player, he should be hitting the target from there. And that, I mean, the game was never in doubt, was it? There wasn't a moment in that game where I thought, well, Croatia are going to get back into this. But at the same time, you you score that, then it puts the game to. Play. Yeah, I know the shot you're talking about. I think it it was going to fall to him or Kane, wasn't it? And Kane stepped aside. I think Messi he hit it yeah. with his left foot, didn't he? And uh, just skied it over the bar. It's easy to sit here and say it now, but yeah, you you'd expect a sort of a caliber of player he is. You should be in the target from there, but yeah, still a brilliant game. Is there any other talking points from the game that we've not touched upon? I, I think we need to touch on two. I think most of us called out. Tyron Mings in the last friendly for performing quite badly. What one of us said that he performed well. It wasn't me. I thought uh, yeah. I thought you called him out then. I, I did you. call him out. I thought he was <laughs> dog shit game. last game, and he played really well today. And I'll happily eat my words and admit that he was bloody good. And yeah. I'll do the same for Pickford. I know he didn't have a lot to do, but well, that I was thought, my second point. Yeah, I, I said last time he doesn't fill me with confidence, and today. I didn't get that sort of feeling from him at all. See, this is the thing with Pickford, though. He's, he's, you know, had not the greatest of seasons with Everton. He's been dropped for Sweden's goalkeeper, uh, Olsen, I think it is, a couple of times. But he's never made a mistake in an England shirt for me. He's Look always the he's of players he's playing with at Everton, though, compared to England. That must play a factor in it. It has to. I mean, if you had the, the Everton defence in front of you, bearing in mind that it does contain Bed Godfrey, it's not going to fill you in the world of confidence, is it? But you look no. outside in, in an England shirt, you've got Trippier on the left and Walker on the right. I'm, I'm pretty happy with that. John Stone's in the middle. Yeah, he's annoying at times and he thinks he's fucking Pirlo at the back and he's not. But he does the job. Group stages, if the, that defence was to stay out, I mean, it obviously won't because Chill will probably come in and... But um, group stages, you'd think that defence can easily handle with the remaining two games, wouldn't you? I think today was the toughest game, though, wasn't it? 
without a doubt. So I think if they can handle that, they, they can handle Scotland and Czech Republic, definitely. And we've said before on this, this podcast that the defence is the weakest position alongside the goalkeeper and midfield and forwards. But having said that, I don't really think they put a foot wrong today, even what? though it wasn't the best starting uh, starting four, was it? I didn't think. No, but my only concern with Scotland is it's the cup final in it for them. Exactly. And, uh, That's what we said on the last pod, wasn't it? That they're, they're going to want it, aren't they? Like really want it. Who's everyone's man of the match? It's it's Phillips for me. It was it was it was between Phillips and uh, Foden, uh, but you, you just you can't take anything about away. Foden, have we? No, you That's can't take anything point. away from Phillips at all. No, not spoken about him at all actually. We is he had a really decent game. In fact, he had a really good chance, didn't he? When the, was it in the first five or ten minutes? Yeah, hit the post, didn't he? It's um, and and Foden's another one for me. I. I'm probably going to eat my words with him, but the past two seasons, he's obviously not got into the City team. He's been on the bench, hasn't he? And Pep's sort of breaking him in gently. And is he the real deal? Is it just being hyped up? But you look at him and, yeah, he's definitely something special, isn't he? He's, he's going to he, go he, one of two ways, isn't it? He's either going to be Paul Gascoigne or he's going to be Ross Barkley. That's, it would be such a shame, I, wouldn't it, for it to go the Barkley way with the talent he's got. He just looks a different level completely. And given his age, what is he, 21? He's no, he's going to go all the way to the top of his. Yeah. I think you just need to look at his involvements in the games. It's like you said, he's not played every minute of every game for City, even though I think he's personally capable of it. But he's got something like 30 goal involvements. And to do that in that City side, when you've got that much competition for your spot, I think is incredible at his age. And, and he's, yeah, he's going to go far. Yeah, he has to be. He's, if not the best midfielder in our side, he's definitely the second. I, I liked when we started. I mean, we, we only played it for about 30 minutes, but then we started playing a different way. But when we was playing all the close-touch football and, you know, they're knocking it about really close to each other, I thought with Mason Mount and Foden, I thought it worked so well with those. And we were getting Sterling as well when we were behind. It was working so well. I just hope we... We keep playing that way. I think someone like Foden, possibly Grealish, they're going to be the ones that literally turn these big games from a draw into a win. They're going to come up and shine when it really matters. I think they're going to be the difference between us actually winning it and going out at, say, the quarters or the semis. I still think Grealish is going to have a huge part to play. I think he's going to end up being a star in this tournament. If he could stay on his feet, yeah. This, I mean, I was really, really surprised he wasn't picked in the starting eleven today. But I think it was Tom who said on the last podcast that this Euros is sort of, or could be like a warm up to the next World Cup. Like this group of players in eighteen months' time, I generally think this group of players is probably Euro '96 aside is the best England squad in my lifetime that I can remember. Anyway, obviously, you've Itali- also, take away Italian '90, of course. But you, you've also got remember. to think though that this group of players, if the tournament had gone ahead last season, probably five or six of them probably wouldn't even be in the team. Might have benefited getting uh, getting it delayed. Yeah, I think so. It's um, Calvin Phillips wouldn't have been in the team this time last year. So you say yeah. this team is maybe a bit of a warm up. For the next tournament, I think they're, they're, they're probably more than ready now. Well, it's the butterfly effect, though, isn't it? But it's like one thing I'd say is, you know, we're looking at the next World Cup and thinking this this team could push. I think the biggest threat we have is the fucking weather. 
Can you imagine people who were used to English weather playing 90 minutes of football in Qatar? <laughs> well, he was saying it was hot today, weren't they? Uh, exactly, in London. His interview after the game, he was saying it was the hottest game he's played in. Yeah, when they get to Qatar, it's literally going to be like opening the oven door, isn't it? It's crazy to be holding it over there, isn't it? It's, uh, I think we've all got our thoughts on that and the whole yeah, Christmas. And, and, and we'll, 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 be binning, now, uh, we'll be binning... We've been in the beers and having fucking mince pies. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not happy about it. I, you know, it's for like this week. Like, like I say, today, this morning, great weather, beer, fat lads. Next year, it's going to be you know, sherry, snow, and fucking Cliff Richard, isn't it? But we say that. But how good is Boxing Day fixtures and the the, the Premiership over the Christmas? It's the best time for me. The the, the runner games. The the, the three games a week, that sort of Christmas New Year period. Yeah, it's um, I love it. So potentially, it might have the same sort of effect with the World Cup. I, I just love a summer tournament, me. Um, who's not given their man of the match so far? Uh, Calvin Phillips. It has to be Phillips. He's done bits throughout in, in terms of you know midfield control and then that little bit of brilliance to give the assist. It has to be Phillips. So it's a clean sweep for Phillips then, making us all eat the, our words. Um, and by all of us, I mean just me. <laughs> I was the only one who uh, just goes to show I know fuck all. Actually, I think Kev, you were. Yeah, I did. I did say he was lucky to be there. So it's time now for the Southgate in Auto Meter. So on a scale of waistcoat to full suit, where are you on Southgate after today's game? This ain't a thing, is it? Well, I think no. I think we do need to include it, you know, because obviously we do it with Fergie uh, at Posh. He spent nine months trying to battle to get it out of the yellow block, and now he's transferred over to fucking Shearer's Island. Yeah, no, 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 hear me out, hear me That's out, hear me joke. out. joke. So yeah, we spent you know the last nine months doing it, and all the fans are giving a shit, and eventually the owners chimed in, didn't they? You know, the boss's boss. If we do it with England, maybe we'll get Prince uh, Prince William involved. You know, maybe he'll have a go at us on Twitter. That's that's just good, good publicity. Point. Exposure, great show. Exactly. Moving on to the the rest of the Euros then, Italy-Turkey was the opening game. I think I'm right in saying that Italy 3 turkey nil was the biggest win in in an opening game in uh, Euros history. It was a bit of a slow burner, wasn't it? The first half was uh, took a bit to get going, but they looked good. People are saying, well, they're dark horses, but can Italy be classed as a dark horse? I mean, you know, they've won the World Cup how many times? I just think they're just not considered contenders. Um, But when are they really considered contenders? But I don't think this really means anything. You know, I think the home advantage played a big part. The occasion would have, you know, helped them. I don't think uh, Turkey looked uh, very, um, very strong at all. So I'm not that worried about Italy if we come up against them. But it was a good performance, I thought. Yeah, it's not someone that you'd... uh... Not want to be. I mean, if you had the choice of meeting sort of, I say Spain, but Spain don't really concern me. But if you had the choice of meeting sort of France, even Holland or Germany, one of the big boys, you'd, um, you'd. I personally would take Italy. Yeah. Chiellini though, he still got it. He, he had a great game. I thought. He can't be thirty six because in the last World Cup they said he was thirty six. No, he was thirty six in the World Cup nineteen ninety. Uh, it makes honestly 30, every tournament. Oh, Chiellini at the back, thirty six years of age. <laughs> Who's been cryogenically frozen between each tournament and they just thaw him out as the 
It's the Euros we get. Well, he looks like he's been pressed he, up the freezer too long, doesn't he? He's That's two nice. weeks older than me, and he looks like my granddad. So speaking of dark horses, one thing we didn't actually talk about on the on our prediction podcast was who do you think is going to be the tournament's dark horses? I don't think you can class mine as a dark horse because they they are a good side, but they're a side that never tend to really go overly far. Um, but I think Holland are one to watch. So, you know, I, I, yeah, I don't think you could class Holland as a dark horse because they they are a big football nation, aren't they? The same thing I was saying about Italy. I don't think you can class them. Uh, I don't know what the rules are. You know, I'm just making this up on the spot. But when we're talking about dark horses like mine, uh, I'm going to say Austria. So like a small football nation who uh, could go further than they're expected to go. I mean, they've just beat North Macedonia 3-1. So, I mean, that's nothing to go by. It means no, does it? That No. <laughs> it doesn't prove the point at all. But I just mean in sort of when we're talking about what, you know, what a dark horse is. It's a team who probably wouldn't get out of the group stage normally, but could maybe get to the quarters or semis this year. Um, and that's why that's who I'm going with is Austria. I'm going to go with Wales then, in that, if that's the case. You know, I've got a terrible feeling. Um, I think Scotland do well in there. That is a terrible thought, isn't it? Well, when I say well, on quarters, that that would be like a... That is you know, well for them, very that's well. That's incredible, yeah. Dan, who's your dark horses for the this Euros? If, if you take into account that nobody is, is counting them as contenders, uh, you know, I would say Italy, but... It's like you said, you know, they're, they're always there or thereabouts, apart from the last World Cup. They are a fantastic footballing nation. So, I, I don't know. I, I'm going to be more patriotic than selecting Wales or Scotland, because that's just fucking blasphemy, in my opinion. Spain? Northern Ireland. Spain? They won the World Cup a little while back. Yeah, they're shit now, though. I'm allowed Holland serious? if he's allowed Spain. Yeah. No, no. Because <laughs> before 2008 to 12, Spain did fuck all. Yeah, they were. They were England, were they? were shit for ages. And then they had one good generation when Iniesta and Xavi were really, really, really good. And then, you know, they've retired and they're shit again. But they've got an half-decent squad and they look quite good together, you know. So I think they'll do well. See, the thing with, when I say dark horse is that I think if Spain reached the quarters or semis, you wouldn't be shocked, would you? Not, not massively. You go, oh, probably weren't expecting that as much because of, you know, the, the squad's been hit by COVID and they're not what they once w- once were. But if you see Spain in a quarter or semi, you won't be like, oh, bloody hell. Do you know what I mean? Whereas if you see Austria in a quarter or semi, you'd be like, fuck me, where, where did they come from? Well, hang on then. What, what are we talking about? Dark horses to do well or dark horses to go on and, and get to the final and win? Dark horses to do well. Oh, just so, to do well. Oh. We're putting far too much time into this. It's like what a you know try to ex- explain. I suppose there's no rule to it. It's just what I see as a dark horse is someone you wouldn't expect to do well, but does well. And by right. does well, I mean quarters, semis. Well, Poland then. <laughs> yeah. Poland see, last won the European Championship in 1988, so they've got to be classed as a dark horse. Well, if anyone's watching the game right now, they don't look amazing either. They look really shit. Right. Well, I'm going Holland then. It's half time. It's half time against Ukraine, and they've had like seven chances, and not one of them's at target. Yeah, I don't think they'll do it, will they? But at the same time, if they make it to a quarters or semis, you wouldn't be shocked. That's what I'm saying. Okay. Anyway, 
Wales and Switzerland. Uh, Tom's prediction of zero points for Wales. Well, that's gone out the window because they got themselves a nice little point. Um, Switzerland were all over them, though. Um, I don't think they looked in it at all. But Danny Ward, he was fantastic for Wales, I thought. But he doesn't get a game at Leicester at all, does he? He's a good... Well, let's be honest. Who's he got to... Uh, he's got Schmeichel to try and knock off the spot, hasn't he? Yeah, I get that. But it just shocks me how... He, how much of a decent keeper he looked in that game. Um, you'd think he would be, you know, pursuing a move to try and get first-team football, but he's been at Leicester for a couple of years and just don't get a look in, which just says all you need to know about Wales, that he's their first-choice keeper, yet he's on the bench for, you know, 99% of the games for his club. There was a point a couple of seasons ago when I would have took him back at Liverpool as second choice, definitely. Is that when... Uh, it was him, wasn't it, who was meant to play in, was it the China Cup? And his passport got lost in the post. Was that him? I don't know. Somewhere. Who did um, Danny Ward play for the championship team? He got him promoted, didn't he? Huddersfield, wasn't That's it? That's it, yeah. Um, he looked good there. And then obviously when the con- his contract finished there, I would have, uh, yeah, definitely took him back at Liverpool as second choice. I think we had, I don't know if it was Carrius then. And we know, we all know how that ended. So Dan, your, uh, your prediction? For, uh, well, I think you, you mentioned him as, uh, you know, sort of one to watch. And Bolo for Switzerland, he, he looked good, didn't he? He did. And to be fair, I was surprised by his um, his record because apparently he's only scored six goals for Switzerland in about 40 appearances. Yeah, he's surprised because he was one of them, wasn't he, about four or five years ago, who was sort of one for the future, wasn't he? And he's just yeah. sort of fizzled out, hasn't he? Exactly. But he, he got a goal. He looks half good. So... Yeah, you probably get quite a few in the uh, in the group stage, and then when Switzerland go out in the uh, the first knockout round, no one's going to be surprised, and he'll disappear again. My biggest criticism of the Wales game was Robbie Savage on co-commentary. Dear God, how bad is Robbie Savage on commentary? I think we need to bring back Savage of the week and just vote in why, Robbie Savage for it. I wonder why Danny, the Forest fan, dislikes Robbie Savage. Because he's an arsehole. I mean, this is like Kev going on about and um, Pickford. Yeah, but have you heard Robbie Savage on commentary? I think he's superb. Oh, whatever. <laughs> so, yeah, moving on to Denmark, Finland. Obviously, the game was overshadowed by the events of uh, Ericsson. Um, I was, obviously, I was watching the game live. Was any of you watching? I know you weren't, Jared, but was anyone else watching it as it happened? Yeah, I was, yeah. I was out at the time. I didn't watch it. It was, I remember as soon as it happened, I remember thinking like literally as soon as he dropped to the floor, like, because I think that the commentators were saying he's um, he's got cramp or something like that. And I was sort of reading on Twitter and people were saying, oh, he's, he went down with, with cramp. But as soon as he went down, it just, you know, popped into me straight away. He's just had an heart attack. It was never cramp, was it? You, 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 you literally face planted the floor. You could see. Is, uh, yeah, yeah, someone said he got... Away. Yeah, someone said he got it in the bollocks with the ball, and obviously you're going to drop like a sack of spuds if that happens, aren't you? But as soon as he went down, and then uh, obviously the camera put, zoomed into his face, didn't it? And it was like, and that's when I posted in the group chat, didn't I? Oh my God, he's he's dead. And um, he was just, it was really difficult to watch. And one thing I didn't like, and a lot of people have sort of raised the same thing, is that the BBC was streaming these pictures they were zooming in on him getting the defib and cpr and i just thought it was really distasteful and there's people online saying well you could have turned it off and it's like no because you want to you want to watch and you want to you want to find out what's happening and you want to you know but you don't want to see that do you 
I'd seen all online that, oh, they should have played it. And I thought, well, yeah, if it's on TV, it should be shown. But then when I actually watched it back myself, it was horrific. Well, Absolutely well. horrific. And yeah, I mean, and they really did zoom in as well. If they had just stayed panned out, it wouldn't have been an issue, you know, and still in that area where you can see, you know, what's going on. But to actually zoom in as he's getting the CPR, um, and you could see he was, well, he was dead, wasn't he? If you get CPR. They, 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 well, yeah, they said he was dead. They, they, they've, um, they've come out today and said that, yeah, he died, didn't they? They brought him back. And then obviously um, zooming in on his wife was a uh, bit of a low low blow as well, wasn't it? Sort of a, she's come running down out the crowd or whatever, and first thing they do is zoom in on her. It was the uh, last thing you want to camera pointed in your face at a time like that. When I, cause obviously I watched it back, um, I didn't really know what was going on at that point, but it was daunting because you, you see he's just like, one, one minute he's playing, he looks absolutely fine, and then you just see how his face looks tired and, and just in the split two or three seconds, he's gone from running around, looking tired, and he's gone straight down. And it could just, it just, it just make you worried. And he's a professional athlete, incredibly fit human being, and and there he is having a heart attack during a football match. It's, it's crazy. I think it was when they um, brought all the sheets out and put, put, put the sheets around, and that was the point where you would thought something ain't right here. It's, yeah, uh, yeah. That's the sort of thing they do at Grand National, isn't it? When they're putting the horse to sleep, when the horse falls, they bring the the, the shield around. So yeah. It's, um, I think word got down to them, didn't it, saying they've they've got this on TV, and that's when they obviously decided the players literally formed like a guard, didn't they, to stop people filming, which is really disgusting when you think about it. That, and whilst all that's going on, your 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 colleague and to a lot of them, you know, mate, is there dead. And they're trying to bring him back, and you need to then stand in front so people can't film it. It's just uh, it's they were covering the cameras, and then you had um, three rows up a dad and a son, and the dad was just sat there, and the son was watching. I thought, fucking, I turned him around at least. How old was the kid? About six. Yeah, see, it's just, we're all parents on this podcast, right? And I yeah. guarantee every single one of us would have taken our kid out. Yeah. So I was I was listening to Talk Sport, um, sort of in the aftermath of everything, because uh, I was out uh, at the time. Uh, and they were basically saying that they it's, it's a separate recording company, a broadcast company that record the games and send them out to the live broadcasts for stations like BBC or or ESPN in America or whatever. Um, and it's up to the, the host station to to sort of pan to the studio when they want to cut away because um, the live feed is obviously getting sent the whole time. And, and during the half break, they'll be recording either the pitch or, or random fans. So talks, but I think it was Adrian Durham or or someone else who was doing the live coverage of the game. Uh, apparently BBC, even as late as they cut away to the studio after and, and sort of changed the programming, they did it a lot earlier than the the local broadcast companies did in in Italy. Apparently they were showing it for a lot longer um, and showing all the close-ups after the BBC had cut away of of the the wife crying a lot more and yeah. and you know the Ericsson getting sort of you know, the immediate attention that he needed. So I think, you know, people are going to berate the BBC and whatever, but I think it's that they could have done a lot better for sure, but equally they could have done a lot worse. Yeah, because obviously, say, when they cut back to the studio, eventually you could see, I mean, Alex Scott, she was crying. You could see Gary Lineker, Seth Fabregas, they were, they were genuinely sort of distraught. Um, 
So to cut back immediately to them, I suppose they want to know what's going on. They that they probably know know him on a personal level. Some of them and they were concerned. It's um, what do you cut back to? Do you, do you complete cut it off completely? It's uh, thing is when, when you think, look back when you look back at it, the the safest place to have this you know cardiac arrest is probably where he was because the attention he got straight away was second to none. That happens when you're taking the dog for a walk. You're fucked, isn't it? Oh, if it's if it's the rest of us, we're, we're not here now, are we? Simple as. Well, they say, uh, you know, because of uh, Mwamba, they say because of obviously him, because he was dead for a long time, weren't they? But luckily they managed to bring him back. And since he had that heart attack, a lot of things changed, like safety measures and stuff. Because I think I'm right in saying that when Mwamba had his heart attack, he only survived because there was a doctor in, in the stands as a fan. And I think he was like a heart surgeon or something or yeah. specialist something. And he said to the stewards, look, I'm, you know, I'm a heart specialist or whatever he was. Let me on. And they let him on and he saved his life. Um, I think it was the Mwamba incident anyway. So yeah, it was. Yeah. I think since then, obviously, it's changed a lot. And, you know, they've brought in these extra measures. But, yeah, you're right. If it happened anywhere else, um, he wouldn't be here today, would it? But it's crazy because they've done tests on him. All his tests have come back normal. So how does a fit, what is it, 29? 29, 29 yeah. How fit 29-year-old who's one of the, you know, the top players in the world, just drop down with a heart attack. Um, you know, how has no one picked up? Because they have these scans, don't they? Is it once a year? They have a heart how's, Whatever's happened to him, why has that not been picked up? I mean, I'm no doctor, but from what I've heard and sort of seen today, it's something to do with one of the valves that pumps blood around your heart. It has a build-up of, I think they said it was fat around it. And when an athlete, obviously, is sort of exercising or playing the heart's trying to beat the blood faster uh and because of this build up of it sort of wraps around it constricts the flow so t- to a normal person walking along sort of um normal heartbeat probably would go undetected but obviously if you're playing a, a football game at that pace that's why it sort of happened to him but like i say i'm no doctor but it sort of makes sense it's the sort of thing that probably could go undetected on a on sort of a heart scanner yeah, I guess I suppose you know if he, if he's not playing football at that level, it probably would never have happened, would it? No, this is it. But they restarted the game. Um, obviously, he was he was stretched off and he was conscious uh, when they stretched him off. Apparently, he got on the old uh, FaceTime um, whilst they were all in the sort of dressing room and said, "I want you to play on," and they did. And obviously, the head weren't going to be in the game. They just you know must have been in you know quite a bit of shock and. Um, didn't go well for him, did it? Uh, but fair play to Finland. First ever tournament. First ever shot on goal. Scored. Their only shot on goal as well. Scored of it and got, got the 1-0 win. How do we all feel about the game getting put back on? It wouldn't have happened. If, if he hadn't spoke to them directly and they weren't 100% confident that he was OK, there's no way they'd have gone back on the pitch. I'm confident in that. Well, I still think they shouldn't have. It was I either last night or it was 12 o'clock this afternoon. So it had to be played. They were told it was Arvey to carry on or play again today. I can't see an issue with it though. If it's his wish, he's he's got on you know on the phone and spoken to them and wants wants them to do it. And he's obviously stable for him to be able to do that. And with the medical advice that he's stable, I can't see any issue with them with them continuing the game. That's because it's not a league, is it? You can't postpone it for three or four weeks. It had to be played, and it had to be played today or you know the next day. 
it's it's just got to be done. Otherwise, you forfeit that game, don't you? And I suppose Denmark probably didn't expect to go on and lose that game. Um, and as as bad as it sounds, your teammates just had a you know heart attack. Um, you also got to think about the the commitment you've made to to the game. And I suppose you have to sort of see it through. But you're sort of right in what you're saying, Dan. In terms of probably shouldn't have gone ahead from a performance point of view. You could tell the performance dropped after that, but then. It's going to, isn't it? Yeah, of course. How do you reckon Denmark will recover from this in terms of the next couple of games? Do you reckon they'll they'll be able to turn it round? Because they, to be fair, before the incident, it was only a matter of time before they were scoring against Finland. They were all over them. I don't see why not. To be fair, it's um, if he's fit and well, he might, it's, the next game he may not even be in hospital. He may be out by then. He may be sat in the stands watching. So it's a uh, It'd be nice if they went on to progress and go into the last stages, wouldn't it? I think it may be a bit of a spare on for them, yeah. Yeah, knowing he's pulled through, sort of doing it for him sort of thing. And, uh, yeah, I don't think it'll affect them going into the next games now. I think it will, but in a positive way. Calm down, calm down. It's Kev's tip of the week. I'm going to blame uh, Mr Kane for us not all sitting on 41 grand this week. I don't know if anyone put the bag of sand on it. But, uh... I put the bag of sand on it, but I did put a fiver on it, and it was fiver down the drain, thanks. I think it's potentially, if you'd have got an early goal, who knows? But um, yeah, this week's one is on the England v Scotland game, and I've gone for both teams to score in both halves. Wow, so you're looking at least a minimum of a two-all draw. Yes, yeah. Um I've gone with Paddy Power for that. They they were the ones that got the best odds, um, twenty-one to one. How much would you recommend putting on that? We'll go for a tenner. Whoa! Twenty-one to one is not actually that good odds because I'd be very surprised if Scotland scored two goals. Let very alone surprised if they score one goal. Yeah, exactly. Let alone both in in, in both halves. So if you bet a tenner, you win. Fuck all. What are we on now? We haven't won anything yet, have we? Never. Like, one of your bets has not, not sure won. I've won one. No. Uh, it was That's joke. a joke. Yeah. Uh, well, on that <laughs> note, thanks everyone for listening to Shearer's Island. Join, join, join us next time as it's the little big one, Scotland. And visit us on the socials at Shearer's Island. Mm-hmm.